0: Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters.
1: And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T Travers on the Twitters.
0: And just for, for the I feel like this is actually kind of an interesting, it's almost like Einstein's twin paradox and kind of in terms of science experiments. One of us has been in the TCA ballroom for the last three days. One of us has, in the space of that same period of time, traveled back and forth internationally across the country to Montreal, Canada. And attended a attended a comedy festival, and then flown back at the wee small hours of the morning to arrive back here at the Beverly Hilton. And one of us is sleepy and sad and tired, and one of us is doing just fine and feeling actually pretty good. And it's not the person who stayed inside the hotel ballroom.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's it, needless to say, Liz is the is the happy one, and I'm I'm tired, and I don't know if this is commentary on what exactly goes down in the TCA ballroom, or if it's just more about the fact that I'm a wimp, or if it's more about the fact that you're, you know, uh, inspired by seeing, you know, good creative comedy and traveling. Um, It could be all the factors, could be all of it.
0: It could be the fact that I actually managed to get, uh, I managed to sleep on the plane.
1: It could also be the fact that you've kind of trained yourself at this point. To sleep at odd hours and still function like a normal human being. Yeah. Whereas if I miss like one hour of my normal schedule, my whole life is ruined. So
0: yes, by by being terrible at sleeping as a general rule, I'm pretty good at surviving on terrible sleep. Um, and this
1: again just further enforces that I'm a wimp because <laughs> if I miss sleep just a little bit of it everything goes to shit.
0: Well, we'll see how I'm doing in a couple of hours. I may just fall flat on my face and never get up again.
1: That's true. You could be riding like just the wave right now. Like I you could, could just be. be on the ups and then the crash is coming. But Yeah, we'll see. You seem pretty level though for, yeah. for like since you've gotten back to the ballroom which was three
0: and a half three and
1: a half four hours ago yeah. um you've been pretty you know like this yeah, so i
0: feel i feel pretty good um That I mean, i'm sure that's all fascinating to you guys um but I mean, people it,
1: care about us liz
0: people do people, they're
1: deeply invested at this point because otherwise why would they be listening
0: there are other podcasts you could be listening to where they actually do talk about television
1: more um. more <laughs>
0: Significantly more. But I think it, it was interesting, I guess, as this commentary on TCA's, which are draining in a very specific way, um, which, but I missed it. Um, we do keep, we keep
1: our view our listeners up to date on the TCA's shenanigans too. Like we've done episodes where it's just explaining the TCA's and then it's ones where it's just like, Guys, you've got to bear with us. The TCAs are, are draining our our power, you know. So they're they're familiar with the process.
0: Oh yeah, we'll see how next week's episode goes of this podcast. Oh yeah, usually week the week two podcast yeah. is always pretty fun.
1: Yeah, because it's like, wait, we just did this. We were here and we already did one. Why are we doing another one? Oh yeah, it's two and a half weeks of TCAs.
0: We still live here,
1: right? right.
0: Oh man, but TV is happening outside of the ballroom. In fact, what? good. Well, good TV. Oh yeah. Um, so who? this is kind of this is the, my terrible segue into talking to, to to kind of talking about the fact that we're actually kind of enjoying right now two really interesting um, murder mystery type shows uh, airing with, with prestige elements to them. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> why do you find that funny?
1: Well, I mean, I just prestige elements is very vague. And I mean, the first thing that came to mind for me with The Sinner was uh, Tracy Letts and Carrie Coon and then I was like well it's also you know an Emmy and Golden Globe nominated series so maybe I should just you know go with the series before I think of the cast and that struck me as funny. That would
0: involve you putting anything before Carrie Coon and I don't think we live in that world.
1: No one should. No
0: of course. Uh, but yeah I mean essentially you just finished reviewing The center just uh, as as we record this it published last Friday. Um, and we are also continuing our coverage of Sharp Objects, which has proven to be a really interesting show to follow on a week-by-week basis. It's a hit. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're never sure with like, sometimes like you, you review a show and you're like, I'm good. Like, that, you know, we, we, we talked about it. We're good. Um, but, you know, Sharp Objects is one that's continuing to evolve. And it seems like y- you humble listeners, or some of you humble listeners, some of you humble listeners, at least you humble readers, are engaging with this show. Like, this is one that people are talking about. Yeah. Uh, which is weird, though, because uh, uh, a writer for UpRogs, Brian C. Grubb, if you don't follow him, you are missing out because he's hilarious, uh, posited that it's... Weird that Sharp Objects is coming out now because uh, it's, it doesn't feel like a summer show to him. And I was wondering what you thought about that, Ben.
1: Um, I, I, would, I can't imagine it coming out any other time, if only because, as discussed on at the TCA panel, sweat is such a critical element of Sharp Objects. This uh, The show obviously takes place in the dead of summer uh, in Missouri, so the humidity is overwhelming. Uh, the sunlight is overpowering. Uh, people are just kind of melting away on screen. And um, the actual context provided by that is important to the show. Like um, when you see uh, Cecile's mom, whose name I always forget Alma? Is it Alma? Some of the like I think, a, It's a stranger. Oh, right. name. Shoot. Uh, Adora? You... Oh, it is Adora. You're right. Yeah. When you see Adora, uh, played by Patricia Clarkson, when you see her kind of all put together and proper and, you know, well-groomed and uh, not sweating, even though she's basically just kind of walking around town, walking around her home, doing a lot of things that everybody else is doing, and then you just see kind of the scraggle-haired mess... Of sweat that is Chris Messina, you're kind of like, <laughs> okay, I can understand the context there. Like, he's the outsider coming in from Kansas City, adapting to this world. She's the one who owns it and operates it and is very comfortable in it. And, you know, that's a very general kind of uh, I, like uh, assertion that you can glean from the fact that it's taking place in the summer. But I feel like it's important. And I feel like murder mysteries tend to play good in the summer almost, or tend to play well in the summer. Uh, almost like a good beach read you know um it's it's a lot denser than that especially the show versus the actual sharp objects book but um i think it's that you kind of want to sink into this story while you've got the time to do it and summer just feels like a perfect opportunity to do that
0: that's a good answer to the question i mean I i believe brian's argument for it maybe not being a summer show is simply that it has like it has enough like of the glitz that you already made fun of me for saying prestige elements oh no
1: i don't mean to make fun of you that's it's, exactly what people say yeah and it's it's fitting it's just it is a vague term so i just i was laughing more at my own
0: no <laughs> well i feel like honestly it's okay you're allowed to make fun of me um no, no, no. Uh, well i feel like though my because my reaction to it is also um i personally, am a big fan of watching shows set in the opposite of whether whatever weather I'm experiencing. Mm. Like uh, during our most re- uh, during our recent heat wave, I decided you know this is a good time to watch *Handmaid's Tale*. Just like think about sinking into those snowbanks and feeling very cool. Like I, I think I tweeted something to the effect of, "Yeah, *Handmaid's Tale* terrible dystopia where the human soul is dying, but the weather looks nice." Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I like a I like a hot so hot, hot show in the winter and a, and a cold show in the summer, um, but I see I see the I see the I see why you might go the go the same way too. Like apparently, if you drink hot tea in a, a hot climate, it's supposed to be it's supposed to help cool you down. Interesting. I don't know. People well, say I mean, people say all sorts of silly things.
1: The other thing that I, I tend to hear about, especially in the summer, and I think this is more like the movie thought process leaking in when Hollywood is releasing all of these kind of brain-dead blockbusters for you to just have some fun and eat some popcorn and watch. It's like, well, this show's kind of dark and heavy for the summer, and I never really felt like that kind of logic applies to when you watch something. Everyone's in their own personal space emotionally, so whether you're ready to engage with a dark show shouldn't have anything to do with whether or not it gets dark outside sooner, or it's colder, so you're more ready to watch, you know, a cold-blooded killer show whatever but also you know uh, things are pretty terrible right now um in, (laughs) in the world so i think that we're just kind of even more prepared than normal over the summer months to remain engaged and infuriated um and sharp objects definitely caters to that you wrote a good piece um with interviews from the cast and crew about kind of the rage that that stems from these women and how appropriate it is for these times. And, uh, you know, again, that just makes the show uh, all the more powerful and all the more uh, well-suited for summer.
0: That's an interesting point. I mean, I feel like there's something about a show released this summer, and technically, like... The stigma surrounding a show being released in the summer, like left over from the broadcast era, where it's like, "Oh, that's where you dump shows. That's where like you you air your crap in the summer because no one cares." Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, I feel like that's kind of dissipated, but at the same time, like, you know. That being said, uh, I feel like I feel like when I remember being having this thought during like when The Sinner was airing last year. Uh, U.S.A.S. The Center, uh, which is coming back now for a second season, as we've already mentioned, I think. Um, but when when it came out, I was like, it just seems it seems like it was a show that was just slightly better than it needed to be, and that's part of why like it attracted so much attention, just because it was like it could have just been your tra- your typical trashy like m- you know murder drama, and even even with like an interesting hook to it. Uh, and instead like because of the acting because of some because of the execution like it seemed to have hit like that just notch above where it could have just like coasted and that's why it was so so important but I think that expectation was driven a bit by the fact that it came out in the summer
1: yeah well I mean yeah and I, I think that that stigma still applies if only because you know even even if you're not in tune with kind of the awards calendar of it all um you'll notice that a ton of the uh, prestige dramas and and prestige tv comes out in you know april and may these days because they're catering to the emmys and then anything that would start after that it's like well why wouldn't you just go earlier to make sure you qualified for the emmys if you were going to be better um, or if you were good enough to to actually qualify and it was something that was brought up when uh, HBO lost out on the total nominations count for the first time in seventeen years to Netflix, and people were like, "Well, if they just would have released Sharp Objects in time to qualify, they would have won because they only they were only down like four or five or six or something nominations." It's not hard to imagine, and, like
0: in a category where like the Alienist got nominated, yeah,
1: Sharp Objects would have dominated. Yeah, it would have had three. Not, it would have had. Uh, series, actors, supporting actress, locked up, let alone, you know, Sean Marks coming back after his Big Little Lies went for directing. You've got writing with Flint. Like, there's a ton that it would have uh, been able to nail down. So, so yeah, getting back to the original point, that stigma definitely still exists, even if you don't really pay attention to it. Um, You'll kind of notice the ebb and flow of when, you know, a lot of quality shows are being released. And, um, you know, I I think that uh, that started to erode once uh favorite emmy strategy came into play of you know releasing a show after the emmy's deadline or releasing a new season of a show after the emmy's deadline to remind people of what came before and using that kind of as a extra marketing push to to give it the awards credibility it needs so you'll see stuff like glow doing that this year you've seen orange is the black orange is the new black do it in the past um ineffectively do it this year but that's neither here nor there uh yeah no i mean it's it's definitely something that exists i think it's it exists less so in tv um and with the sinner it was another one where you know the most prominent scene the the scene that really drove buzz and drove everybody into it was you know took place on a beach and uh to kind of release that at a time when it would be dead of winter might just ring false for some people um even if you know it it was it is a nice wish for yourself like thinking oh i wish i was on a beach right now
0: that is actually really weird like cuz i i definitely could see myself watching and really enjoying sharp objects in the winter when it's cold but yeah it would feel weird to watch a beach scene like the beach scene of the center during the winter i don't know why i don't know why my brain is
1: i also don't remember but it is it's on the East Coast, right? The center set? Yeah. Season one? Yeah, so like, somewhere in there. It's not trying to tell you, like, oh, we're in Hawaii, so it's just always nice, or oh, yeah. oh, we're in Los Angeles, so you could always go to the beach, which isn't really true, but a lot of people think so. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of at least relying a little bit on just the casual, we're just going to have a beach day thing, uh, mm-hmm. which people have in various locations. But uh, but no, it, it it's interesting to, I feel like, to go along with this theme of seasons and television um I think last year I declared something and something along the lines of glow is the is the, the TV. song of the summer. Yeah, like the song of the summer for television, like it's it's the TV show of the summer in a way. And um, that's something, you know, the song of the summer is something that's widely debated a bunch a, a bunch a, amongst everyone, but especially, you know, music people. Um, about what the official one would be, and, and there's different metrics for gauging it, and there are different definitions of how you consider it, and it's the same with TV. It could be a lot of things. But, I mean, The Sinner would definitely have been a contender last year as well. Glow oh, was yeah. a big contender um, because so, people just kept talking about it. But
0: Glow was early summer, and some, Sinner was definitely late summer. Yeah, I
1: think Sinner was... It might have been, like, even... August or September. I think it premiered in August, yeah. yeah. Um, and it
0: kind of ran through it was, it was a short season and ran through September,
1: which helped it at the Globes, but um but yeah, and I think I think this year, you know, I'd definitely argue that that Sharp Objects is the show of the summer um at least so far hmm. and um
0: I can't really think of anything that would counteract that.
1: I mean, The, the Center of Season 2 is definitely going to be a, among that thought, but its setting isn't Really, it isn't as uh, it's colder (laughs) 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 the the time of the year, and it's center season two is colder, which again works with what the show's narrative is is going to be. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we were talking before the podcast started, just in general, about these two shows and you know what connects them, and the fact that sharp objects, um, the people behind it have said very definitively we're not going to make a second season. Uh, the Sinner was originally sold as a limited series, and then it was successful enough that it became, you know, uh, a second, it got a second season. Right. Um, you know, the last big limited series <laughs> on HBO was Big Little Lies. They, I don't rem- I tried to look it up, and I'm sure that at some point they said, this is it, you know, we're only doing the one. But they never seem to be as definitive about it as the Sharp Objects people have been so far. Right. They, and definitely during, like, as the season be- proved itself to be a hit, they were saying stuff like, "It'd be nice to come back." I'd be open to seeing what she wanted to do next. Maybe we'll just do another story that she wrote or something. But, um, but yeah, the, the the idea of limited series and having sequels and how they can be successful and you know, for the record, I, I do really like the center season two. Um, I think it's it's a very well told mystery, so that's good good news for everybody. But uh, you're
0: not objecting to the fact that there's another season? After. No,
1: and I don't I don't usually object to follow ups. Of any kind, right. um, as long as they're motivated by the creators. Mm-hmm. So
0: I will say, um, so back in May, uh, I talked to, I, I did that. You know, if you've been reading, or if you've been reading uh, the many Sharp Objects pieces I've written since the show premiered, uh, all those came, all those articles came from interviews conducted over the course of one afternoon. Uh, thanks, thanks to HBO. Uh, but back back then, one of the other things I asked I've asked about was you know the possibility of a season two, and uh, at that time Jean Marvellier said firmly he would not do it, and in,
1: just like he did with Big Little Lies, well he and he's not.
0: Well, but the thing is, like Big Little Lies, he nearly did. Yeah, uh, that that is something he mentioned in the interview, which is that he he. If, if this schedule-wise, it had worked out, it would he would have done it. It just they wanted to go sooner than he was ready.
1: Which was funny because he was the one for Big Little Lies who was the most adamant about we shouldn't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, hey, when Reese Witherspoon gets the str- gets to train rolling, you to hop on board or you get out of the way. Well,
1: oh, you know, yeah, and I mean, when Meryl Streep shows up, you might just be like, oh, I kind of want to work with Meryl Streep.
0: I guess. Like, what What has she ever done, then? God, she's the best. I, I didn't know you were that big a Meryl fan.
1: Everybody's a big Meryl fan.
0: Well, yeah, but I just didn't, you know, did like like, do you put her above Tom Cruise?
1: As an actor?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Like, is it, but as an idol?
1: I well, whoa, Tom isn't my idol. He's a problematic human being. But yeah. As somebody who is a he's a movie star, and right? I enjoy him as a movie star, right? Even though I shouldn't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, Meryl's a far better. She's she's, she's probably the best of all time. Yeah. She's sure. Meryl Streep.
0: She, she is Meryl Streep. That is true. That is a fact about Meryl. Um. <laughs> Yes, anyways, but- oh, That was actually
1: a joke that, that Casey Boyce made, the president of programming of HBO, during the TCA panel. He said, he's like, guys, I got a scoop for you. Meryl Streep's great.
0: <laughs> Way to go, Casey. And I was
1: like, yeah, we know. That yeah. was good, though. You're cute.
0: Was that before or after I asked my question? Uh, I think that was maybe before, because I, I think it was early. Yeah. God, I was so out of it. I was just like, hi, I'm wearing a hat. Tell me about Confederate.
1: Yeah, it was good though. The hat the hat clip was good. It all held together. Well, he, he
0: he he rightfully observed that I was wearing a black hat before. Right. Which was <laughs> And then I was like, I'm sorry I have to ask about Confederate now. Yeah. I'm going to be asking about Confederate until the end of time by the way because
1: you've got a sandwich bag.
0: I got a sandwich bag on it.
1: But you bet that it's not happening.
0: I bet that if it if if I know I bet I no. Dana bet me that it will never happen Dana right. is on the side of it will never okay. happen so if it if, if, if every version of Confederate comes to the screen uh, editor-in-chief Dana Harris owes me a sandwich
1: but when it, when would you owe her one
0: if it get if they officially pull the plug
1: they're never gonna officially pull the plug HBO keeps things in development for eons
0: I'm probably never getting a sandwich
1: hmm. all right interesting bit
0: yeah i think i have the terms right here i
1: no it sounds it sounds right
0: yeah uh point is i but th- expect this to be my thing for the next uh consecu- 10 consecutive tca tours is me asking about the confederate god because i i need to know about the sandwich then
1: he's just gonna tell the mic people to avoid you
0: well he didn't tell them to. you avoid know that lady
1: in the hat don't give her a mic
0: Anyways, we got distracted. Point is, uh, I did ask uh, everyone everyone involved with the cast about a season two of Sharp Objects, and at the time, they gave very politically like, yeah, maybe, who knows? Like, we, I could, I, I think uh, Marty Knoxon said something the I wouldn't kick HBO out of be- HBO out of bed for eating crackers, which I appreciated because that was a, something my grandmother also used to say. It's a good thing. Um, yes, uh, grandmother said it regarding uh, the star of the Mentalist which I will never forget to the end Simon of Baker? Yes, my grandmother thought Simon Baker was a cutie, and mm-hmm. he, she would not kick him out of bed for eating crackers. That's good. I'm getting... Maybe I am a little more jet lag than I thought.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We go off on tangents a lot.
0: We do. Um, anyways, the most notable thing is I did... When Jillian Flynn answered the question, she was, like, very, like, yeah, I have... I, these characters are in my head. I know their stories. I could keep going with them. Like, she definitely had more to say about those characters she definitely felt like she had more story about those characters and that could be you know it that doesn't mean that's ever going to happen it it, it sounds like it will not ever happen it sounds like they've kind of drawn their line in the sand on this issue um but yeah i mean i think the thing is like at this point never say never ever
1: yeah i mean that's the lesson we've learned with all of television and i mean i don't remember if we've talked about it before in specifics but I mean, you know my feelings on finality in general. Like, I like things to be to be given endings, proper endings, um, no matter when that's going to come. And we know that this season has been given one, and I felt that Big Little Lies season one was given a proper ending, so um, if they creatively deem it viable and, and uh, worthwhile to, to come back, that's fine. But for now, when they actually... Just kind of put the nail in the coffin with those questions, while this season's happening. I guess I don't really hold it against them if they went back in like a couple of years. You know, like yeah. if they would, if they just like you know what we've been away for a while, thought about it, got some good ideas, we're gonna go after it. It's it's our job to to try to figure out what's coming next because that's usually what you guys want to know, especially in TV. People want to know how much more of something they're gonna be able to watch. Um, but it's also You know, it's their job to just be honest when they're saying it in the moment. So we'll see what happens. Yep. It's a big hit.
0: Two sharp, two objects. God.
1: (laughs) Sharper objects.
0: Yeah, that is actually probably. Sharper
1: objects -er. (laughs) are
0: Sharp objects, colon, fallout.
1: Sharp objections. Blunt.
0: Blunt objects. There you go. And it's just about people getting hit with things. Right. Like, because they're cleaning out their closets or something, and something falls from a high shelf.
1: It's just—it just has no nuance anymore to the story.
0: <laughs> uh, Brett Ratner directs.
1: Oh boy, yeah, that would work.
0: <laughs> that 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 would be a hilarious comedy joke of a of a t- TV show. Never do it, dear universe. Continue to do this thing where Brett Ratner doesn't make te- make it, television or film.
1: Yeah, it's good for now.
0: It's good. The Brett Ratner did direct the Prison Break pilot. It's the only thing he's ever directed that I liked.
1: You liked Rush Hour.
0: Eh.
1: The first Rush Hour is good. Eh. Liz. It's okay. It's good. It's fine. It's a lot of fun.
0: Eh. It's fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun in spite of its direction.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's true. I mean, it's not like a, a, a movie that's notable for its direction, but it doesn't like overcome failures. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like how quickly. We turned the subject from Sharp Objects to Rush Hour. Like that was that's like a two step connection process and I'm really proud of us for it.
1: I always get Brett Radner and Mick G mixed up too.
0: That is true. I like Mick G a lot better than Brett Ratner.
1: I, I mean Mick G executive produced the OC, so we're all in his debt forever, at least in a minor way. So yeah, indeed. As did Doug Lyman.
0: Yeah. Point is, uh, Sharp Objects show the summer. I think the sinner. So maybe pretty good the, pretty good not not maybe the show of the summer but you know we'll one see. worth listening to
1: if it becomes the show of the summer if it's like a mega hit then great because right. everyone involved deserves it
0: yeah way to go carrie coon
1: she picks winners
0: she does uh <laughs> we're
1: all winners just because she's back on tv indeed we should take a moment that is really re- celebrate that
0: that is really true like i don't feel like we've appreciated that properly
1: by the time you're listening to this in two days the universe has righted itself and carrie coon's back on television
0: god remember that time when carrie coon was on two television shows
1: that was just i mean that was just too much yeah it was it was you know it it poorly prepared us for the long stretch without carrie coon so
0: yeah (laughs) this long stretch that got so bad ben actually went and saw avengers age of ultron
1: god i did do that (laughs) carrie i mean you did great
0: (laughs) carrie was great in it
1: they had to have a leftovers tie-in just to avoid some sort of plagiarism suit.
0: <laughs> the point is, speaking of picking winners, Ben. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> what was the best thing you watched last week?
1: Uh, just
0: go ahead and see the dinner.
1: Oh well, it was casual. Did I talk about that last week?
0: You've, you you I think casual was what you were looking forward to last week. Oh
1: well, this is the best thing I watched then. Get. Casual, you guys. Casual. You're all. You're all dead to me if you didn't watch casual. I, I wrote this up, I think, in the season three review, maybe, just saying, like, there's no more excuses. You guys have to get on this shit, and nobody listened. And now it's over. Fourth season is the final season. It's available tomorrow, and you're listening to this. Um, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful season of TV. Like, I, I, they really pulled out all the stops for the final eight episodes and just made eight episodes that you could tell they were dying to make. That they had something to say within, that they, they knew where they were taking the characters, they connected it to a bigger arc, they didn't try too hard to make it into something that it wasn't. Um and everybody's just so good, and it just feels so good to watch that show because it's so honest. Um and I, I really loved it. So I, I again like it's it's you've got four seasons now of Great T V. If you haven't watched it, get your shit together and, and do it. It's great. Um he That's... said,
0: looking directly at me. Liz, did you not catch up on Casual? I need to still catch up on Casual. How much have you seen? Decline to answer the question on no. the advice of my attorney. God, Liz.
1: Steve's going to punch you in the face.
0: That's fair. I had it coming.
1: Well, I don't know. If physical violence is really, you know, what's then justified here? And I may not here, have watched but...
0: season three at all.
1: All right. Well, I'm not going to get in his way. No, I'll just let <laughs> I'll just let him decide. But... Yes. Uh,
0: Steve Green justice shall be dealt out.
1: He's, he's pretty good with it. Yes. He's a pretty fair attorney. Um, All right, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week?
0: Um, Well, the best thing I watched last week, I feel very silly about because uh, as I flew back from Canada, I was like, I got to do my favorite. I got to watch um a couple of episodes of a show that I didn't think was available in the U.S. and then at this point and then i come back and i start talking to ben about it and it's like oh no it's all on netflix right now but uh the there's a there's this canadian sitcom called kim's convenience which has probably been on netflix at least for a few weeks at this point was a big hit in canada when it first came out and is so charming so well written so funny it's just a really great great little show um especially if you're interested in diversity on television it's a show about a korean a family from korea that uh lives in toronto they own a convenience store hence the title kim's convenience it's 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 clever and then uh but the family dynamics are really interesting and mature and complex uh while also like still really light and the humor is great there's just a lot i love about this show uh the writing is really smart
1: hour long half hour half hour 22
0: minutes it's a tight 22 um and 13 13 episodes a season two seasons on netflix and i don't i'm gonna have to look up and see if they're gonna make more but i can't recommend it highly enough like if you just want a nice a nice show about nice people like it's delightful and but not like sappy or anything it's really
1: interesting all right i haven't seen this um so I guess we'll just call it square yeah. with the whole casual thing. Except, I didn't really know about this one, and it may not have been available to me. Yes. Whereas you knew about casual. And no, it was it casual, too. casual
0: is coming. No, I, I own my shame. No
1: more punching, but maybe a slight actual slap on the wrist.
0: All right, fair. I have it coming. Uh, ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to?
1: Well, as we've talked about uh, probably too many times in this podcast, there's a lot. of of screeners I've got in my docket because of TCA for shows that don't come out for a very long time. Yes. But because we were talking about our wonderful friend Stephen Green and yes. coworker, our uh, assistant. No wait. What's the title? Assistant associate. Associate Ass- TV editor. Associate TV editor. That's correct. He's my associate. He's, he's, he's my associate too. We are a law firm now. Yes. Um. I am going to recommend, or I'm going to say that I'm looking forward to Lodge 49, oh. which is not a fireman show nope <laughs> uh it is going to be an amc drama um it it's apparently kind of the lodge in like the sense of twin peaks has a lodge like a cabin i thought kinda, it was more or like, or like, like American motel legion. Is, is, that it is
0: i think it's an american legion thing or like an Light, elks club
1: light-hearted like. modern fable follows a washed up but optimistic former surfer um. Ooh, played by white russell everybody wants some that's a win who stumbles across a potential way to get his life back on track when he is welcomed into a local fraternal lodge so yeah probably an elk's club yeah kind of dealio but i bet it's in a cabin like structure so i'm just gonna go with it um steve loves it yeah i mean he proclaimed his love after like a half hour which is kind of early to do something like that you can get burned I did that.
0: Rec- I, I recently was like <laughs> 20, 10 minutes into a show and I was like, oh, man, I this, maybe I like this show. And then 20 minutes later, I was like, no, I do not.
1: Yeah, you reversed it pretty quick. But Steve stuck by it. I think he's in th- like through maybe three and he seems still pretty high on it. Um, it's executive produced by Paul Giamatti. Uh, AMC has certainly been making some pretty good shows of late. You know, Better Call Saul's coming back. Liz raved about that. Uh, as it and has been for a while which is uh you know obviously justifiable um but yeah no i'm I'm excited to see what the fuck's up with this little show that is a kind of confusing misleading title but sounds it, good
0: it sounds like a charmer so I mean, i'm it like, sounds like something it sounds like something As long as it's not John from Cincinnati, I think we're okay. Jesus.
1: Yeah. Uh... It's
0: Jesus. (laughs) I see what you did there.
1: (laughs) All right. What are you looking forward to, Liz?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to basically remind myself that this is my homework. This is my next interview I have to do. Uh, I'm scheduled to do, so I need to make sure I get ready for it. Um, I'm on the books to interview Tony Danza and Josh Groban regarding a show called The Good Cop which is coming to Netflix at some point, relatively soon. I think maybe September. And uh, <clears throat> that is, it is a it is a cop drama, but it's also a father-son drama. It's by the creator of Monk, uh, so it should have a nice light touch to it. Um, and Monk,
1: <laughs> fuck that show.
0: <laughs> You're just mad at it because of the Emmys. Yes. Because <laughs> of how it's a comedy. Yeah.
1: That f- no, I can't get into that. Continue. Yeah,
0: it, yes, uh, but yes, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to seeing what that show's about. Seeing how Josh Groban works out as an actor, uh, as an actor without singing at all.
1: Well, an actor like long term too. Not like a little supporting role in something where he kind of is. Oh, he's fun. He's doing well, and then he's yeah, actually going to be in this. He's
0: actually got to play a character and shit. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, that'll be that'll be fun.
1: Uh, well, to complete the circle here, that comes out. Friday, September 21st, which is 2 days prior to Steve Green's other favorite show and perhaps a good reminder of why we don't always trust Steve Green, the season 2 premiere of 911.
0: <laughs> Actually, I kind of I'm kind of into their concept for the 911 concept for this new season.
1: What? Bring out Jennifer Love Hewitt?
0: No, it's like apparently they're going to have like a mega earthquake. No, but I feel like, you know, doing something on Los Angeles and the big one. Like, we all live (laughs) in fear of it. What
1: are they going to do? Are they going to do it over the whole season, or are they going to do one episode on it?
0: I think it's a two-part premiere.
1: That's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. The big one comes, and these 911 operators are going to wrap up all our problems in in fucking two hours.
0: I mean, who would you trust to solve your problems during a mega-earthquake other than Peter Krause
1: I mean, I'd trust Connie Britton, I guess, but that that was a mistake for the first season of 911, so...
0: Uh, you'll be able to read all about that and more on indieware.com, where you'll also find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like.
1: And you'll be able to listen to more wonderful IndieWire podcasts, including the Turn It On podcast with Michael Schneider, uh, Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson, as well as, uh, I mean, the opposite of 911, the TV show, which is honestly <laughs> probably the highest compliment I can give anyone. Um, The great Chris O'Fault hosts the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. So instead of listening and watching the garbage fire that is Fox's number one drama or new drama, uh, listen to the the wonderful wavelength of Chris O'Fault's voice as he imparts wisdom that can be obtained nowhere else.
0: You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers.
1: You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E.
0: Correct. We will be back next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, keep watching television.